Our passage this morning is Joshua chapter 3, and that can be found on page number 211 of the Pew Bibles. And we are going to read the entire chapter, and that's verses 1 through 17. Again, that's Joshua chapter 3, looking at the entire chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Joshua rose early in the morning. And they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out. From your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I, that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan flows, overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. 
Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for this story from the history of redemption of your people. How it speaks to us of your grace and your mercy and your power as you took your people into the promised land. And Father, we pray that as they came near and heard your words from Joshua, that we would come near this morning and hear your words as well. Pray, Father, that you would speak to us, that you would create or affirm faith in our hearts, that we might be moved to consecrate ourselves, that we might see amazing things, and that our faith might become unshakable. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we've already said and as we've already seen, uh, this morning is Jim's and Cadets Sunday. And the reason we have programs and highlight programs like Jim's and Cadets is because in Christianity, discipleship is incredibly important. This is how we pass our faith on to the next generation. We must teach them and train them about who God is and all that God has done for us. We must teach them and train them who God says we are and what God says we are like. And then we must teach them and train them how to live as godly men and godly women in light of who God is and all that he's done and who we are and what we're really truly like. And so this is extremely important work. And I, for one, speaking as a parent, am incredibly grateful. I'm grateful, um, and, and I actually think I speak on behalf of everyone who's ever had children in gyms and cadets, uh, everyone who does have them there and who will have them in gyms and cadets. When I say to all you leaders, thank you. What you do is incredibly important work, and it is a joy to drop my children off at gyms and cadets and to know um, that you are caring for them during that time. Now for the sermon. Our sermon this morning comes from Joshua chapter 3, and in this passage, actually, we find both themes, the themes from uh, cadets this year and the themes from gyms this year. Incidentally, the Cadet's theme does come from Joshua chapter 3. It comes from verse 5, which reads this. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And the NIV translates this, uh, God will do amazing things among you, which is where they get their theme, amazing. And I would imagine that if we're honest, all of us would like to experience God doing amazing things among us. We would love to have a moment where our faith becomes sight. And the Jim's theme is unshakable. And the idea here is knowing in an unshakable way that God is with us, that he's caring for us, and that he will care for us. There are many trials that we face in this life, from sickness to family members dying, uh, to other people hurting us with their words or their actions. And 
that can cause us to sometimes wonder, is God good? Is God with us? Is he caring for us and watching over us? And we all want a faith that is unshakable at times like that. Later in chapter 3, God tells the people, this is how you will know that the living God is among you. Or another way to say it is, this is how you will know in an unshakable way that the living God is with you. And then as we'll see, God's going to part the Jordan River so that they can walk across on dry land. God is going to do a miracle right before their eyes to give them unshakable faith. So here's our outline this morning. Very simple. First, seeing amazing things. And then finally, becoming unshakable in our faith. So first, seeing amazing things. Uh, As we look at our passage today, we cannot forget where Israel is in the history of them as a nation Uh, They're finally standing at the door of the promised land. Uh, The promised land is the land that God promised to Abraham and all of his descendants almost or more than 600 years before this time. It's the land that these people, many of them, have been waiting 40 years in the wilderness to enter themselves. And here they are in this moment on the doorstep about to finally go into the promised land. The only problem is there's a raging river in front of them with no bridges. Later in our passage, we're told, now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. And that was just an aside later in verse 15. But that tells us a lot. Because the Jordan River is filled with bushes. It's basically a jungle. It's at flood stage, so there's a a massive amount of water flowing. And it's all flowing downhill. So it quite literally is a raging river. At this point in time, the the Jordan's probably about a mile wide and at least 10 to 12 feet deep. So anyone who knows how things work in nature knows that it's impossible in this moment for them to get across the Jordan River, let alone do so with all of their supplies and the women and the children. That's the situation they're in as we read this. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. So they're about to enter the promised land, but they're parked at a river that they cannot possibly cross. Now imagine if you're Joshua at this point in time. Imagine how he's feeling about things. He's the new leader. He's only the new leader because Moses appointed him. It's not like they took a vote and elected Joshua. He's done nothing as their leader. And the first thing he does is have them set up camp by a raging river with no way to get across it. He's completely trusting God to do something amazing. And then we read, at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp And commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. So the ark of the covenant is a box about the size of a coffee table, and it represents the presence of God. And the ark was to remain in the most holy place at the center of the tabernacle, or what would later be the temple when they they built the temple in Jerusalem. And the Ark of the Covenant is supposed to stay in the center 
of this place of worship. Inside the box are the two stone tablets of the Ten Commandments written on them by God. Also in the box is a jar of manna and the staff that Aaron had that budded uh, with uh, almond blossoms and almonds. And these things are a testimony to God's people of not only God's law, but also of his faithfulness to them during their wanderings in the promised land. And the fact that God's law was inside the ark reminded them that God requires perfect obedience to his law and that he will judge anyone who fails to keep it completely. But on top of the ark was the mercy seat. This is the place of God's presence. The law inside the ark condemns the people of God, but the mercy seat is where once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the center of the tabernacle or the temple, into the most holy place, into the Holy of Holies, where the ark was kept, and he would bring with him the blood of the sacrifice for the people, and he would sprinkle it onto the mercy seat, showing that even though God does require perfect obedience to his law, and he condemns anyone who fails to keep it completely, that God was willing to accept the death of a substitute in their place. And that he would forgive them, and that the blood of a substitute could wash away their sins. So the Ark of the Covenant reminds them that God is their God. That's why he calls it the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. That God has chosen to be in relationship with them. The Ark represents God's presence. It it represents God's character. That he is a God of law and justice, but also a God of love and mercy. You may have noticed that, that as we read through the chapter, the Ark is mentioned at least nine times. The reality of God being present with his people is is overflowing out of Joshua chapter 3. And so when the priests pick up this ark and set out from camp with it, the people must follow. Because they're not just following some priests carrying a box, but they're following their God. They're following Yahweh. They're following the God who's made a covenant with them to be their God. He's the living God. He's not an idol like the other nations worship who doesn't even exist and is represented by a statue. No, he's the living God. He's the God who redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt. He's the God who sustained them for 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness. And he's the God who will lead them into the promised land. And all they have to do is follow. Yet, they're also told, there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So 2,000 cubits is about two-thirds of a mile. And the people are supposed to stand back and then let the ark get two-thirds of a mile ahead of them before they follow it. And this could be because God is holy, And they need to have an appropriate distance between themselves and his presence in order uh, to show their reverence and their awe. But what the text tells us is that the reason they're supposed to stand back is so that they will know the way they're supposed to go. Here's the other interesting thing about them standing back. 
Um, later in the chapter, it says that the, when the water gets cut off, it's going to get cut off in the city of Adam, which is actually about 30 miles up the hill. And so as they're standing back two-thirds of a mile, they're going to be able to see two things. They're going to be able to see the priests go into the Jordan River that's raging. They're going to be able to see them stand still in that river. And they're also going to be able to look up the mountain 30 miles and see the water get cut off and stand up in a heap. All because they're hanging back two-thirds of a mile. Because God wants them to see the amazing things that he's about to do. Uh, the instructions go on in verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. See, God is the one leading them. God is the one who will part the waters. And all the people have to do is stand back and watch and then follow. But there's one more thing they have to do. They need to consecrate themselves. And to consecrate means to set apart or to make holy. And the reason they need to set themselves apart, we're told, is because tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among them, or to use our cadet theme, tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among them. So here's the question. What does it look like to consecrate themselves? What, what, what does that even mean? Also, what is the connection between them consecrating themselves and God doing amazing things among them? Because we know this is not a formula. It's not like God is now obligated to do amazing things because they consecrated themselves. Okay? So how are we to understand this? Well, back in Exodus... Uh, when God first led the people out of Egypt into the desert, uh, they were uh, camped at the foot of Mount Sinai before God gave them the Ten Commandments. And we read this. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And the way they were consecrated is they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day and do not go near a woman. So the word to consecrate means to set apart or to make holy. And back in Exodus, what it looked like for the people to consecrate themselves was to wash their clothes, to be ready, and to not have sexual relations. This means consecrating themselves is showing God through their actions that they understand that God is holy and that they understand that God has graciously made them his people, and that since God is holy, they are to be holy as God is holy, and so they're to set themselves apart. And they washed their clothes, and they did not have sexual intercourse. This doesn't mean that sex is bad. It means that there are times when we willingly set aside something good and right and enjoyable as a way of saying to God that he is more important than the good gifts that he has given to us. But there's also an inward part. We don't just wash the outside of the cup to set ourselves apart for God. To truly be set apart for God also means that in our hearts, we turn from our sin and we turn to him for his mercy. Okay? So consecrating themselves meant to repent inwardly, to wash themselves outwardly, 
and then to wait with their focus on God and God alone. And that is what God is commanding them to do before they see this amazing thing. Okay? Now, next question was, what is the relationship between them consecrating themselves and God doing amazing things among them? Let's put the verse back on the screen here. Notice, he doesn't say, consecrate yourselves so that God will do wonders among you. No. He says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. God will do wonders among you. You see, God, God is going to do amazing things no matter what. But if they want to see it through the eyes of faith, right, then they must set themselves apart for God. They must repent and wash and be waiting. It's only the man or woman who turns from their sin and turns to God in repentance who will see God do amazing things. It's only the man or woman who's at war with their sin, as Jesus' brother Jude says, hating even the garment stained by the flesh, which is a reference back to the passage from Exodus. It's only those people who will see amazing things. Friends, if our eyes and hearts are filled with the things of this world, we are blind to the amazing things God is doing. So here's the question. First, do we believe? Do we have faith that God is doing amazing things? Then the fruit of that faith is that we will consecrate ourselves by repenting of our sin, by washing our garments stained by the flesh, which means washing our lives and setting ourselves apart for God, and then waiting in faith. And then we will follow him wherever he leads. Verse 6, And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. See, God is on the move. Now here's the difference between us and the people of Israel in this moment. They knew they were going to see something amazing tomorrow. They watched the priests take up the Ark of the Covenant and go before them. We don't have a specific promise like that. We don't have a physical representation of God's presence to follow. If we had a sure word from the Lord telling us that tomorrow we would see something amazing, I wonder if that would be something that would motivate us all to consecrate ourselves today. But the promises for us today are that God is always doing amazing things all around us. And it's only those who in faith consecrate themselves to Him and then follow Him who are able to see it. You see, the Christian life is a life of both faith and repentance. And the blessings of the Christian life are a free gift of God. The blessings belong to us through faith alone. But the way we take possession of those blessings 
the blessings that we already have through faith, the way we take possession of those blessings is repentance. It's when we consecrate ourselves to Him, that's when the Christian life is amazing. When we are consecrated to God, then our conversations with our unbelieving friends become an amazing battle for their soul. When we are consecrated to God, our deepest grief and sadness become the place where we come to know God. And in the midst of that pain, we discover our deepest joy, which is knowing Him. When we are consecrated to God, that is when we see Him go before us and grow us in love for Him and others. Where we watch ourselves overcoming sin and depression and anxiety, not by being cured, the side of heaven, but by experiencing God's grace carrying us through every single day. And when we consecrate ourselves before coming to worship each week, that is when we know by faith that God is going before us in the ordinary experience of singing and praying and hearing God's word and seeing a baptism and eating and drinking the bread and the wine. You see, consecrating ourselves is laying aside whatever we're holding so that our hands are free to receive what God wants to give to us. That takes us to our second point, becoming unshakable in our faith. So becoming unshakable in our faith is the result of consecrating ourselves and then seeing God do amazing things. Faith is believing God's word, it's trusting in him alone, and that every word that he has spoken in the scriptures is true. And when we believe, the fruit of that faith is a life of consecrating ourselves to Him. It's setting ourselves apart by repenting and washing and waiting for Him, knowing He will go before us and do amazing things in the midst of our ordinary lives. And when that happens, our faith becomes unshakable. Uh, speaking about Abraham, the Apostle Paul says this in Romans 4. He says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God. But he grew strong in his faith. How? As he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. See, we're given the gift of faith. God opens our eyes to believe his promises. And then as we give glory to God, as we receive those promises... As we're convinced that God is able to do what He promises, then our faith will grow strong. You see, our faith grows when we exercise it. Now, what does this look like practically? Well, just like the Israelites here in Joshua chapter 3, it starts with those called to lead us. So verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. See, notice Joshua. Remember, he's in a very tough spot here. He wants to establish himself as the new leader of Israel, but he cannot do it by exalting himself. He must wait on God to establish him as the new leader of Israel. Well, how does he do that? 
by trusting in God, by humbling himself before God, and then by simply telling the people the words of God. This is the same way that Moses established himself as the leader. And God is going to establish Joshua by confirming the words that God speaks to the people through Joshua. So in this moment, that will be by parting the Jordan River, reenacting the miracle that God did through Moses of parting the Red Sea when he brought them out of Egypt. You see, we don't need leaders with their own ideas. We don't need leaders who are trying to exalt themselves, who are captured by the philosophies of this world. We need leaders who just tell us what God has already said. And then God goes on to tell Joshua. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. So Joshua goes and tells the priests exactly what God had just told him. And then he invites the people to come near to him and to listen to the words from God. And this is the word of God to the people. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. So here's how you will know. Here's how you will have an unshakable confidence in God. He goes on. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand up in one heap. So the priests will carry the ark into the Jordan, and when the soles of their feet rest in the waters of the Jordan, while they're carrying the ark, representing the presence and the power and the character of the Lord of all the earth, then the waters of the Jordan will be cut off and stand up in one heap, and you will get to see it. That's what Joshua says. That's the word of God. And our passage closes this way. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Can you imagine what this would have been like? To see the priests carry the Ark and stand in the Jordan, and then to look up the mountain and to see the waters of the river literally stand up in a heap, and then somehow the mud-filled riverbed becomes dry so they can walk and cross it. That's an amazing thing. But I imagine that there's no one in this room expecting to see a miracle on that scale anytime soon. And so here's the question for us today. What are we waiting to see from God that will give us unshakable faith? And to answer that question, we have to keep two things in mind. First, here's the pattern. They came near. They heard the words of God. They believed them. They consecrated themselves. 
and then they just followed God where he was leading. That's the same pattern for us today. Our faith grows. Our faith grows when we hear his words, we believe his words, we consecrate ourselves to him, and then step out in faith wherever he leads. So the picture I have, imagine holding on to the trunk of a tree. And then God invites you to, to crawl out onto a branch. Well, the first movement, when you let go of the trunk of that tree and you start to crawl out on the branch, well, you feel pretty safe still because you're a little nervous because you let go of the trunk, but you're still holding onto the branch and the branch is, you know, that, that part of the branch that's right by the trunk is still really firm and solid. But then as he invites you farther out onto the branch, and farther out onto the branch, what do we know is going to happen to that branch? It's going to snap off, right? See, our faith grows as we crawl farther out onto the branch, farther out onto the branch, and we realize the only thing holding me up is God. The only reason I'm not falling is because He is the one who can keep me from falling. And when we follow God in faith and get ourselves farther out on that branch, eventually we realize that God is the only one we can trust. Just like the priests had to walk into the raging Jordan River before it parted. You see, the life of faith is self-reinforcing. As we live more and more by faith, as we put our trust in God's word more and more, guess what happens? Our faith grows. So what is God asking of you today? How is he asking you to trust him in your life this morning? What trunk is he asking you to let go of? And what branch is he inviting you to crawl out onto? In your life. What river is he inviting you to step out into in faith? How is he inviting you to exercise your faith this morning? That could be as simple, as simple as maintaining your ordinary faithfulness. It could be letting go of an addiction or confessing something. Or God might be inviting you to give your resources in a way that is beyond what you think you can. Or to go and do something, share the gospel with a friend at work. I mean, I don't know what it is. But I imagine every single one of us knows that God is nudging us and prompting us to step out in faith somehow in our lives. The second thing we have to keep in mind is where the Israelites were in terms of God's plan to save his people from their sins. And where we are in terms of God's plan to save his people from their sins. Yes, the Israelites got to see an amazing miracle when God parted the Jordan River and they walked across on dry land. Yes, they got to experience God leading them with His presence represented by the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, right after this moment, they're going to cross the Jordan River and they're going to march around Jericho for a week and watch the walls miraculously fall. They're going to watch God miraculously drive out the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Parasites from the land as they take possession of it. 
But let's not think their situation is better than ours, because they're looking forward in history, groping in the dark, waiting for God to fulfill His promises. Yes, they got to experience God leading them with the Ark of the Covenant, representing God's presence, but we know the true Ark of the Covenant. The true representation of God's presence, and that is the God-man, Jesus Christ. Who wasn't just a picture of God's presence, but he was God in the flesh, because in him the fullness of God dwelt in bodily form. He represented the law of God because he was the very word of God. But he was also the ultimate mercy seat. Because it was his own blood that he spilled and brought into the heavenly temple. And he's not just leading us into a plot of land on earth somewhere, but he's gone before us across the ultimate Jordan River. He is the great high priest who went before us and cut off the waters of death and judgment by being cut off by those waters himself, so that we could walk into the ultimate promised land on dry ground. And he's the one who goes before us to defeat sin and death. Yes, we follow him just like the Israelites had to fight against the nations and drive them out. We will fight against sin and temptation our whole lives. But as they had the Ark of the Covenant with them, we know that Christ, by His Spirit, is with us. And He goes before us. And He fights our battles for us. That's why everything that He gives us in this life is a gift, including our ability to consecrate ourselves. And so we look to Him in faith for even that. So let's consecrate ourselves to Him, for He's doing amazing things among us. Let's believe his words and step out in faith, following him wherever he leads. Let's watch him give us an unshakable faith. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we're grateful for a Sunday like this where we can highlight the discipleship opportunities in our church, where we can be led in worship. We thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy that you show us that we don't deserve, but that you give us in abundance. Father, may we be those who lift up our gaze and look to Christ, the ultimate Ark of the Covenant, put our faith in him and his finished work and all that he's done, recognize that we receive all of his benefits by faith, and then let us consecrate ourselves and take possession of those benefits, God. And then grow our faith that we might be effective tools in your hand for your kingdom and for your glory. And that we might know you more. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.